Good morning. Welcome to Byfield Parish Church, where we are worshiping here digitally today. This has been an interesting week. Uh, let me go ahead and open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be your people in the world during challenging times. Lord, I know it's been a frustrating um, frustrating season in many ways and I know this week especially is a is a source of frustration for many Lord so I just pray that you'd be with us that you'd help uh, to give us the the wisdom and the understanding for how to navigate situations that are challenging for us Lord and I just pray that you would uh, be with all of those who are affected by COVID right now and those that are struggling with other things in their lives and I pray that you'd be glorified through that Jesus name I pray Amen. So today's service is going to be a, a really basic service. Some of you probably remember earlier in COVID, we, when we were doing online worship, we got to a point where we were doing that at a pretty high level. This Sunday is much more like would be the case on a Sunday where it snows. Um, the, we didn't have a lot of warning about how this week was going to unfold here at Byfield Parish. I do want to give a little bit of information without uh, giving any specifics that individual people may not want shared about them. I will say that uh, around Thursday last week, Thursday evening last week, it became increasingly clear that multiple people at Byfield were positive for COVID. And so as, as that became increasingly clear, we reached out to those that we thought maybe had been impacted. And um, several people have been tested. It is clear that several folks in the congregation do in fact have COVID. As far as we know at this point, everybody is doing okay with that. But the decision was made by the elders to go ahead and do worship this week digitally. Uh, that's partially for the just the general safety of the congregation. Uh, it's also out of a recognition that it, it's Thanksgiving week and a lot of folks are going to be getting together with friends and family members that may be higher risk or maybe would just be more concerned. And so out of respect for, for those relationships and everything, that was sort of the basis for this decision. I am one of those people that is positive with COVID. Uh, there's also a lot of community spread going on in Amesbury and uh, Newbury as well. So I'm not sure if I, um, if I got sick from, from something that was happening here at church or from something community related. In any case, I'm doing okay. Uh, had some, have, have had, definitely had some symptoms and stuff like that. Uh, kind of like mild flu-like symptoms, but I'm doing all right. I had been vaccinated previously, so that, that may or may not have made a difference, depending on what your perspective on such things are. Uh, but we would just encourage everyone to, to think through um, how they want to move forward and how their actions affect other people and things of that nature. Um, and if you are symptomatic, just to, to the maybe not just to dismiss that as a sinus infection, but understand that there may be something else going on there and you should probably consider getting tested with that. Um, I did already pray, but I do wanna pray for, for our church again as we continue to travel through this 
this challenging time. It was actually a little bit humorous this week. The the I think it was on Thursday morning. I was writing my quarterly church council report as as my pastor's report, and I was talking about how you know we kind of had moved through this time of COVID, and they're you know still in the process of returning to a sense of normalcy. Uh, in, in a good way, the good sense of normal, and then this happens. So uh, this world is continuing to throw curveballs at us, and all we can do is respond to those in the best way that we know how. So with that, let me go ahead and go ahead and pray again for our church, and also pray for those that may be experiencing symptoms of coronavirus within our congregation, um, and also other prayer needs that exist. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for Byfield Parish Church. I want to thank you that uh, you have been with this church for, for hundreds of years and that you continue to be present with us as we deal with trials and challenges of all, of all sorts and of all kinds, Lord. I pray that you would just be at work in our hearts, that your truth would be the, the driving impulse of our lives, that your truth would cast out all fear and also help us to know how to behave uh, with wisdom and love in, in challenging circumstances, Lord. I do lift up those that are dealing with COVID right now, even those that um, are not symptomatic or still having to deal with how it affects things like their kids going to school or them going to work or these different variables, Lord. Um, for those that are more symptomatic, that maybe live with at-risk loved ones or have seen their Thanksgiving plans derailed by this, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with them, that you'd give them a sense of peace in, in this time as well. And we would just pray that, uh, that there would not be further spread, uh, either through folks here at Byfield, Lord, or in our communities, Lord. We pray that we would be able to, to move past this, this time, Lord. Um, and again, that you would just be with us in all these things. We, we pray for believers around the world that are dealing with much more significant challenges, much more significant difficulties, Lord. We remember those that are suffering from persecution, Lord. We pray for other local churches that the gospel would go forward from those pulpits. Uh, we also ask for those in our, in our own church community that are struggling in ways not related to COVID, that are struggling with, with isolation, Lord. We pray for Jacob Joseph's daughter as she is in the hospital right now with an infection. We pray for others that are dealing with ongoing health issues, Lord. And we also just continue to lift up our nation, Lord. We pray for the political leadership of our country, both at a local, state, and national level, Lord, and ask that you would be with those leaders, ask that you would help them as they, um, that they would pursue justice, Lord, that, that your common grace would shine on their hearts and minds in such a way that they would be able to lead this country in an effective way. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we are going to be continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians. And as we do so, we're returning to a topic that I've already preached on a couple of times and comes up a lot 
in the book of 1 Corinthians. In that book, Paul talks about sex multiple times. Back in the spring of this year, when we were last in the book, I preached a couple of sermons on sex. And this week, we are returning to that topic. Some would say Paul seems a bit sex-obsessed. He writes about sex not only here in 1 Corinthians, but elsewhere in his letters. It wasn't so much that Paul was sex-obsessed as that he was writing to a culture that was. This is one of the ways our modern experience is similar to what would have been prevalent in first century Corinth. Sex was a focus in that ancient city in ways that are similar to the United States in 2021. It would be difficult for anyone to avoid being inundated with sex in the modern world. Even if you want to, it is not a topic that can, can be avoided. I would much prefer to avoid preaching about sex. But not addressing it would be pastoral negligence when it is so much a part of our world. The topic is key not just because it is common. What people think about sex and how their faith interacts with it is often a window into what they truly believe about themselves, the world, and God. It is not unusual for people that claim Jesus as the Lord of their life to chafe when the Lordship they proclaim has implications in the arena of sex. In today's text, the focus is sex, but in addressing this issue, Paul is making a gospel argument that extends to all areas of Christian life. So if you would please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 15 and read through the 20th verse. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 15 and reading through to the 20th verse. Hear the word of the Lord. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
It is helpful when we are reading Scripture, especially the letters written in the New Testament, to remember we are hearing one side of a two-way conversation. Paul is addressing the matters that come up in his writings because word has gotten back to him. These things are happening in the churches he is responsible for. Sometimes when I feel things are a bit bizarre here at Byfield, I am relieved to remember that Paul was dealing with much weirder situations. I wrote that line that I just said weeks before the events of this week here at Byfield, but it actually is a relief to me to know that dealing with challenges within the church that's not, a, that's not a new phenomenon. That's not a recent development. Paul was applying gospel truth in circumstances where the people he was writing to were strongly influenced by the situation he lived in. He was making clear to them how they should live and why they should live in that way. The message he delivered was consistent in every area of life, sex included. Christians should be shaped by the relationship God has established with us, not the world we find ourselves in. I can honestly say that the second question asked in verse 15 of today's text is not one I have ever spent a lot of energy debating. Referring to his own body, Paul asked, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? His answer is an emphatic never. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that answer. While it is not a question many church-going people ask, I don't suppose certainty on the matter is a bad thing. At the time Paul was writing, the answer was not so obvious. He, went, he asked the question and gave the answer because visiting prostitutes was an issue for some in the Corinthian church. People within the church in Corinth would go to temple prostitutes. Friends and family members would hold dinner parties at the pagan temples in Corinth. In addition to food and alcohol, prostitutes were available. We are justifiably disgusted by this. It is valid for us to wonder why the Corinthians didn't intuitively know better. Ideas of right and wrong are strongly influenced by the culture a person finds themselves in. At least some people in the Corinthian church had a perspective on what was moral that was shaped by the beliefs of the city. As bizarre as it might seem to us, they didn't see any problem with what they were doing. 
their lack of awareness doesn't mean their behavior was fine. Right and wrong is not defined by the people that make a nation or a city. It is defined by God. Some cultures have a greater awareness of what is right in a particular area. Others struggle in specific ways. Every culture falls short in some areas. Like people, every culture suffers from depravity. On one of my trips to Haiti several years back, I had a conversation with my friend there. And they have relayed this conversation before. Something very bad had just happened. I don't even remember what it was that reflected very poorly on the nation of Haiti and its people. My Haitian friend was upset and ashamed. In our conversation, it became apparent that he thought America, the United States, was pretty close to perfect. His experience with Americans was with these short-term missions trip groups that I led. Everyone we brought was happy and willing to serve. He had gotten into his head, my, my Haitian friend had, that this is just how Americans are. I told him Americans have our own sins that we don't even notice. He asked me to give him an example. The one that came to my mind was how normal it is in America for a person to completely build their life around their pets. I told my Haitian friend that if he ever visits America, he would be horrified how normal it is to obsess over pets. My point in sharing this conversation is not to make anyone feel guilty over their pets, although if you do feel guilty, you may want to go to God with that. That is something worth reconsidering. The point is that beliefs about right and wrong that come from any culture will not align with what is right and wrong from God's perspective in key ways. We need to make sure we are basing our behavior on God's preferences, not the preferences of our world. We do this through intentionally learning what God wants. At the end of verse 16, Paul writes, For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He applies scripture to the choices the Corinthians are making. Doing so makes it clear what they are doing is not okay. Applying scripture to the moral decisions we make is not always as straightforward as it is in this circumstance, though. Today, we have to make decisions about how to use technology in medical situations. That is not a question the Bible addresses head on. Abraham and Sarah never had a conversation about in vitro fertilization. The technology was not available. Scripture is the starting point 
for determining how we should live. We also need the Holy Spirit. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to respond in the face of life's ambiguities. We need the Spirit to help us in many of the decisions we make so we aren't just relying on what the world tells us is okay. To benefit from the Holy Spirit to the greatest extent, we need to allow that unity to be made complete. Christian community and prayer are both means through which we grow in the Spirit. Too often Christians complain that they feel unsure about what the Holy Spirit would have them do in difficult situations. When they have made no effort to be one with the Spirit. One thing that is clear without too much clarification from the Holy Spirit is that all Christians should flee from sexual immorality. You will frequently hear it said in our world that Christians are the ones who are sex-obsessed. I mean, why, why is it so important? Aren't all sins the same in the eyes of God? That's not actually what the Bible says. There are verses where certain sins are described as more worthy of judgment. However, it is true that all sin separates us from God. James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Romans 6.23 lets us know that the wages of all sin is death. These verses tell us sexual sin is particularly problematic. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This particular type of sin is particularly damaging. It damages the person sinning. To better understand why this is, we have to remember what sex is. Sex was made by God to be a psycho-spiritual-physical act. As such, its misuse affects every area of our being. The problem with Christians' focus on sexual immorality is that it is often directed solely at others, the majority of which don't even claim to be Christians. Same-sex attraction and the 3 to 500% growth in the number of people identifying as transgender in our society in recent years gets a lot of attention. It is valid to feel concerned at how many sexual behaviors that used to be considered problematic are now widely accepted in the United States. It is a reminder our culture is not a good source of information 
on how to live. Pointing out what the Bible has to say about what is happening in our world is fair enough. Sexuality is one area where our society is falling apart. A few months back, there was an article on the Gospel Coalition website. The author gave ample evidence for the dreadful outcomes that are resulting from the way heterosexual sex is being pursued in our present world. She wrote, Our movies and media lead us to expect that movie-like sex happens spontaneously after a few drinks with an attractive partner picked up on a dating app. But the relaxed nature of the hookup culture, which is supposed to make casual sex easier, ends up muting it altogether. Turns out people like to have sex with people they like, whoever would have thought. Sharing intimacy casually with a near stranger doesn't feel safe or enjoyable or, we'd add, honorable. Unfortunately, this common cultural approach to sex doesn't stop at the doors of the church. We would do well to be aware of the issues that are common in the church. Many Christians treat sex very casually. Those that would be horrified by the thought of a one-night stand, routinely watch pornographic TV shows, or read raunchy novels. Well, I don't doubt there are those that struggle with same-sex attraction in this church. I feel pretty confident saying it is less of an issue than what many people are pulling up on the internet. Every Christian should flee from sexual immorality for their own good. Too often Christians have a reputation for being anti-fun or pro-rules. This reputation is not always undeserved. In fleeing sexual immorality, though, we are not really making a sacrifice. We are doing what is best for ourselves. Just in case our own good isn't motivating enough, this passage provides additional motivation. Paul writes, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That price was the blood of Christ. There's no higher price God could pay. God poured out his love in Jesus, the God had suffered. If someone you cared about was kidnapped, what would you pay in ransom? $10,000? A million dollars? It largely depends on who it was and how much you had to give. If someone you barely knew got kidnapped, the amount you're willing to pay is probably going to be low. If it was a spouse or sibling, you might pay everything you have. What about if it was your own child? In that case, you would probably sacrifice yourself. God the Father ransomed our life with the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. 
What is even more unimaginable is that we were purchased out of the slavery that was a result of who we are. We were never our own. From our first breath, we were slaves to this world. We lacked any ability to gain our own freedom. God took pity on our helpless estate. Through Jesus, he paid the price for our freedom. God joined us to himself. The body of every Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The relationship God has established with you through the price he paid means you should glorify God in your body. If this seems like a sacrifice, we need to remember how much God has done for us. We have been joined to God. Apart from him, our lives could only end in despair. With him, we participate in his life. The loss of a destructive worldly pleasure is an insignificant cost. It's the equivalent of marrying the love of your life even though they have a peanut allergy. Listen, I like peanut butter as much as the next guy, but giving it up for love would be nothing. Glorifying God with our bodies is not just a sexual thing. The same logic Paul uses in these verses could easily be applied to any act. Being a glutton may not be as damaging as sexual immorality, but it is still something we should flee. Fixating on being in shape to an extreme extent at some point becomes a problem. Every physical act is a chance to manifest God's glory. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We should use our bodies accordingly. Our relationship with God should determine the way we behave in every area of our lives. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' blood, which purchased our redemption, made this state of affairs possible. The first question Paul asked in the verses we looked at today is, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Think about that question. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? If we are considering whether any action is appropriate, we can think about the fact that we are members of of Christ. Years ago, there was the WWJD fad. Everyone wore the bracelets with the acronym that stood for, what would Jesus do? This isn't a bad question to ask, although some rightly pointed out that Jesus had capabilities we lack. Sometimes the answer to WWJD is that Jesus would perform a miracle. In the face of a storm, he would force it to cease. If food ran short on a hike with friends, he would multiply what was available. 
It is not as catchy, but a similar question we should ask ourselves when we are making decisions is, how would I behave if Jesus were with me? That's H-W-I-B-I-J-W-W-M. I don't think anybody is going to be printing that on any bracelets anytime soon. You can trademark it if you want, but it's probably not worth the effort. The truth is that we are in a real way, we are part of the body of Christ. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be lived with the knowledge of this fact. Certain behaviors are obviously out of bounds when we have this awareness. Any loss that we feel due to what we have gained from God is insignificant. Our lives should be shaped by the relationship God has incorporated us into. The blessings of being part of Christ's body, the blessings of being the temp a temple of the Holy Spirit, far outweigh the losses. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to still, in some small measure, come together to worship today. This is far from ideal. It's incredibly frustrating, Lord. And I just pray that you would be with us, Lord. I pray that we would seek ways to be an extension of Jesus Christ in this world, Lord. I pray that we would keep in mind that the Holy Spirit resides in us, Lord. And as we do so, I, I ask that our behaviors, our thoughts, our actions would be impacted by that knowledge. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, before we finish up for the day, um, I would just remind everybody that uh, tithes and offerings can be given online. Thank you for all who do that through, through that means, um, and thank you for your continued faithfulness in that regard. Uh, the plan would definitely be that we would gather for normal worship next Sunday here at Byfield with Sunday school and, and all those routine scheduling things as well. I hope that everybody has a wonderful and enjoyable time of giving thanks with their friends and family this Thursday, and I look forward to seeing all of you next week. Go in peace.